0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. The only daily Premier League podcast. This
2: is Football Social Daily. Match day two of the new Premier League season is upon us and we at Football Social Daily are ready to run the rule over the weekend's action. Nine matches to get through and a hell of a task to live up to what was as exciting an opening weekend as anyone could have hoped for. Top billing this weekend, though, takes place at the Emirates where a fearsome Chelsea take on a fragile Arsenal. One club tipped as title contenders, the other... Well, make what you will of Arsenal. Liverpool are back on home turf too as they welcome Burnley to Anfield. Jurgen Klopp's side are currently the Premier League team on the longest unbeaten run. But if the past is anything to go by, Sean Dyche won't be bothered one bit about that. Plus Norwich continue their brutal start to the season with a trip to Champions Manchester City. And Southampton will try their best to avoid another 9-0 walloping at the hands of Manchester United on Sunday. We'll sift through all of that and more on Football Social Daily today, your daily Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the season, so hit subscribe and that way you won't miss one. I'm Niall McCorn and after what was meant to be a summer of rest and recuperation, the independents Mark Critchley and the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn I think are probably more tired than ever after what's been a bit of a crazy summer so far. How are you doing lads? Yeah,
0: not great to be honest. I, I, had, a, <laughs> I,
2: had, I had a
0: busy, busy summer. With the Euros and that, and then like two days after the Euros, I got COVID, and that was that was my time off. And then first day of my time off was out of isolation, and then back to it. So that's that, that was my summer. I don't know about the rest of the- <laughs> you.
2: You don't you don't look too dishevelled, Jack, despite the fact that you've probably been up all hours covering transfer stories and all sorts. <laughs>
1: I know I try and um, try and stay clear of transfer stories as, as much as I can, <laughs> which is like kind of like it's like a that's almost like a cashier at Tesco not wanting to swipe anything through with it just like kind of a, ignoring <laughs> quite a crucial element of the job um, it has, it's been like it doesn't feel like last season's finished just like kind of this is just kind of it's all the all merging it doesn't one. feel like the season before that finished no no it's it's hard isn't it you don't really want to moan because we're all very fortunate to do what we do but. Yeah. <laughs> It's like really tiring.
2: Do you think with the World Cup as well in 2022, I just have a feeling that it is going to feel like one huge solid block of football and we're probably going to end up at that point. But for now, we are at the beginning of a new Premier League season. Match day two is here. And let's talk about what I think is the biggest game of the weekend. Arsenal versus Chelsea, Sunday 4.30pm kickoff at the Emirates Stadium. I say I think it's the biggest game of the weekend. This would have been a few years ago, one of the heavyweight clashes in the football calendar, particularly domestically in this country. But with the way that the two clubs have gone in recent years, it's almost like they've gone in opposite directions. Let's start with Chelsea, though. Champions League winners last season and tipped as early title contenders this campaign. We could also see Romelu Lukaku for the first time starting a game for Chelsea. Ten years on since he first signed for the club, £97.5 million later. A lot of people... Jack, are saying that Lukaku is the difference between them winning the title this season and merely being in contention. Is that a thought process that you subscribe to?
1: I'd have them as favourites. The Lukaku signing gives them an edge over City uh, and Chelsea had City's number last last season as well. Um, and Lukaku's just like, just an absolute phenomenon, isn't it? Guaranteeing them 20 goals a season, which... Chelsea got criticised a little bit last season for not taking the chances and Werner had his struggles didn't he even though I kind of like him as a I like him a lot as a player but he's kind of not someone who's going to score a goal every week for you I just think that the balance of the squad is as good if not better than everyone else uh, they've spent a lot of money they've I mean there's even talk of them getting another midfielder in so they might not even be finished yet Um and just coming off the back of the Champions League final and how they kind of finished, finished the season, I think they're kind of really, really strong contenders. And I, yeah, I would I tip them, tip them to win it.
0: I wouldn't put them out right because I still think that if we're talking about kind of levels, City have a higher level. Um, and we saw that last year, I think, um, during that stretch where they just wouldn't even concede a goal. But it was strange because around the same time, you had Tuchel come in and like employ quite a similar very controlled style of play, just didn't give absolutely anything up. And the one thing you were looking for, like Jack says, is just a little bit more on the attacking side, just just that kind of finishing ability that they needed that Werner was criticised so much for. And Lukaku gives them that. And I think you know, there's even a possibility that he brings a bit more out of Werner as well because he he did very well at Leipzig where he was playing off and uh, He was a bit more of that kind of figure who you know not not a target man per se but just someone to to like run off and and play balls in behind and stuff like that so um i think i think they're really really strong i i still would just have city ahead of them but that depends on city really kind of getting getting their act together and, and getting all the players back and the fact that chelsea have been able to just step into the season and hit the stride immediately i know you're saying it's only one game but you know three points over to to be three points ahead <laughs> These, it's going to come down to fine margins, I think is what I'm saying this season. And so if City are that little bit slower off, off the starting gun, um, then potentially, but I would still just about have them City ahead of Chelsea.
1: I think the thing with Lukaku, like, you could almost do Lukaku down by saying that if you get people in and around him playing off him, then he's going to be really effective because obviously he's, he's, he's much more than that, isn't he? But that is like a massive thing for them to have this such a kind of strong front man that you know Pulisic and Werner and Havertz and Ziyech can all just like play off it's like incredible depth um behind someone who is going to play every week and it gives them that kind of certainty in selection
2: yeah and you talk about Werner as well I think Mark you highlighted him and it's the fact that it wasn't you know he didn't have a great debut campaign for Chelsea considering the price tag and what people were expecting of him but he was getting in the right positions you know he, he couldn't stay on side but that combined with what Lukaku offers I think that does make Chelsea definitely a dangerous prospect what about Arsenal then because we can talk about Lukaku coming into Chelsea but their summer acquisitions at the Emirates have been Aaron Ramsdale Ben White Sambi Laconga Nuno Tavares and Martin Erdegaard who have all come through the door in North London there's been a lot of questions Mark, on Edu's signings since he became technical director at Arsenal. Around 120 million quid spent this summer as well. Do you think people are being too harsh on Arsenal and what do you make of the signings that they've made this window?
0: I think it's a strange one because when, like, some Arsenal fans, I think some Arsenal fans are a bit happier with the window from what I've seen than perhaps the general perception is. Um, but you do look at the, like, the positions that they bought for, um, and while I I, I really rate Odegaard if he can stay fit, um, and I think their improvement over the second half of last season that had something to do with him coming into the team as well. You know I I, I like Ben White, um, and I think you know like he's a talented centre half. So that Leeds saw that Lee at Brighton last season, and I don't really think that even Ramsdale is that terrible a signing, or at least I think there was a period last season where he was he wasn't playing well for Sheffield United, and he got a lot of media scrutiny, but um, you know, if you look at his, if you look at his stats for his performances, he improved as well later on. So I think a little bit of a perception stuck to him that may be a little bit unfair. But you do look at the positions that they bought in and you just wonder, could that not have been used elsewhere in the squad? Um because there's other areas like out wide, um centre midfield where you, you think they could do with a bit more strengthening and the biggest question about Arsenal, I think, is you don't just look at this summer, you look at the summers before that, before that. It's just how the squad has been put together, really. It's a bit of a mismatch. You, there's no real clear strategy or, uh, you know, when we talk about clubs that do transfer business well, we talk about people that go in with plans, five-year plans, six-year plans. Sometimes they never work. But it's important to at least have a plan. I always think, you know, even if it's never, you know, because otherwise you just end up all over the shop and that's what their squad looks like when you consider, for example, like the, the Aubameyang contract extension, not this summer, the summer before, did that really need to happen? Was that a bit of an emotional decision? Was it something that they kind of rushed into just because, um, you know, he, he kind of, they the FA cup and he played a big part in that last season. We didn't see that same level of performance from him. And now, They've got an aging player who's on a lot of money that they're going to struggle to shift um so it's decisions like that that I question more than some of the ones that they've done this summer but I do think to be honest that the the reaction this week has been a little bit a little bit over the top i didn't I didn't think the performance against Brentford was good but I didn't think it was too bad either and I think even if whatever your opinion on that game they did improve over the second half of last season, and that's really what people should be concentrating on and that's the reason why there's a little bit more hope that perhaps you know whatever success represents for them this season that they can achieve that
2: i think it was a bit of a minefield of an opening fixture for arsenal as well against the side you know new stadium fans back in attendance full house for the first time first time in the top flight for 70 odd years i think it was always going to be tough for arsenal regardless considering the the mood around both clubs the positivity at brentford and the negativity at arsenal that being said jack Um, understandably negativity at the Emirates because it's the first time in over a quarter of a century that Arsenal haven't qualified for European football heading into a new season. What would be an aim for Arsenal this season in terms of a successful campaign? And I know it's a difficult question because every person and every fan has a different opinion. Would it simply be for Mikel Arteta to get them back into Europe or does that not cut it for a club of Arsenal's standing?
1: They finished eighth last year, didn't they? But it was quite fortuitous, really because they had that run of victories at the end. I think they won five, the last five games, didn't they? I think being a a successful season would be them not having to play catch-up with those that are around sixth and seventh. I know that's kind of like such a low bar, but (laughs) the, and you know, and like kind of have a bit of a go in the domestic cups as well. Um, But I just think they kind of, it's been allowed to like meander for so many years that they've actually found themselves in this position where they just need a little bit of stability and the supporters seeing some form of progress in the performances. I mean it's quite, it's interesting because I've, uh, I was asked to do something on Arteta with a colleague for Saturday's newspaper and like you talk to people around Arsenal and it's, some of them want to go back to a back three, they're going like, oh, he's got to play three at the back because Ben White's there. Um there's obviously like quite a divided dressing room, um, which like Arteta's just not not met head on at all. Um and is allowing certain characters to kind of run the dressing room. Um but then other people turn around and say, Well, you look at the younger players like Saka and Smith Rowe and Tierney have like really improved under Arteta. And he clearly he's clearly doing a good job with some of them. But the problem he's got is he hasn't got a group, which like feels like quite cliched when you talk about Arsenal, because we always everyone always talks about they've got no leaders, they've got no fight, and they're not together. But actually kind of like speaking to a few people that around the kind of camp, if for want of a better word, they that's the sort of stuff that's coming back. And there isn't that kind of spirit to them. So I don't really know what a successful campaign looks like because it's they're coming from they're coming from quite a distance back because they even though they've had most of them in for pre-season, there doesn't seem to be that kind of togetherness at the moment. Um and you that only happens when you're allowing more and more well you 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 kind of get getting on with your rebuild quickly. Which I think and you look at like Granite Xhaka wanted to go to Roma three weeks ago and then got a new contract. Yeah, and he's captain and he's last, last captain week as well. Think, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just ridiculous, isn't
2: it? Yeah, and I think on that as well, if you do look at the signings on a blank piece of paper and just have them there at face value, it's easy to say who's a leader and, and who isn't, but have they signed anyone that you could immediately earmark as a leader? I mean, Ben White maybe, but is that just because he's a centre-back and we have this cliche that centre-backs are always seemingly good leaders? Because there's no one like... You know, Bruno Fernandes, when he came into Manchester United, for an example, was just immediately a leader. Um, It doesn't feel like Arsenal have signed anyone like that, but they've got their work cut out. Certainly this season with the strength of the Premier League, do Arsenal be interesting to see how they get on their second test of the season after that opening day loss to Brentford is at home against title contenders. Chelsea, that's a 4.30pm kickoff on Sunday at the Emirates. We're going to carry on with uh, Sunday's fixtures. I'm going to go from uh, the red side of North London to uh, the white side of North London, I think. Tottenham Hotspur, they travel to Wolves, two o'clock kick-off on Sunday afternoon. Nuno Espirito Santo heading back to his uh, former stomping ground. Mark, how do you think he'll be received at Molyneux? I can't imagine it'll be anything other than positive. I wondered what your take was. Um, I don't think so. I mean,
0: I, I, have a, I have a good friend who's a Wolves fan and, like, it just seemed that when things kind of fell apart last season and he left, that um, it wasn't really through any kind of ill will or anything like that. It was more just time ran out. You know, the the project got a bit stale and they parted ways. But I don't think he's, you know, the job that he did there for a couple of seasons, at least before last season, um, was a really solid one. And, and you say pound for pound in terms of, you know they get a lot of help there in terms of the relationships and the contacts that they've got, especially um, in Portuguese football. But you know, it's pound for pound, I'd still say that getting seventh and top half finishes uh, for a newly promoted side is probably one of the better managerial jobs that we've seen over the last couple of years.
2: How how, how do you think he's handled himself at Tottenham so far since he's gone in? Well, I think. Well,
0: look, it, I think going into Tottenham this summer was an incredibly difficult job because you, you're going in there after heavily publicized that you aren't the first candidate for the job you aren't even probably the second third fourth or fifth choice candidate for the job but um you know it's an opportunity that he would have looked at and would have thought that he can succeed in. and like i say like while i don't think they've got um a coach who plays a brand of football that is particularly attractive or entertaining i do think that they've got somebody who is capable of doing a good solid job at a club like Wolves whether he's capable of doing that at Tottenham I think is a different question and we're gonna to have to wait and see for that but the way that he's kind of handled or handled as best as he can the whole Harry Kane situation um, and all the all the commotion around the club like even before that even the questions about him coming in I think you couldn't really have asked for much more than that um but, you know, he's he's had two games so far, so we'll see from here on in. But I, I, I expect him to get a good reception because people at Wolves, like I say, friends I talk to who support Wolves, they, they just they think very highly of him.
2: Well, you mentioned that he's only took charge of two games, so it is still pretty early to tell on the whole with Nuno Spirito santo But those two games, Jack, they could hardly have been more different. A win over the champions, Manchester City... When there was plenty of negativity surrounding Tottenham, even on their social media, it was almost like they're throwing the towel in before the game with some of the content they were posting. Yet they ended up winning the game by a goal to nil. Um, I think the tweet was "Whatever happens, we'll be proud of you," or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like condemning themselves to to an absolute hammering, but it never came. They won the game by a goal to nil, but they lost the first leg of their Europa Conference League qualifier against Passos de Ferreira on Thursday. So, in terms of a mixed bag of results, and I know it was a completely changed side in that European game midweek, Um, it, is it positive or negative at Tottenham going forward? Because it feels like the high that they picked up from that Manchester City win is already flatlined because of that loss in Portugal.
1: Yeah, I've got to be honest, I didn't watch Thursday night um, <laughs> because life's too short. Uh, but... <laughs> They kind of galvanised a little bit on Sunday, weren't they? It was like pretty much the same pattern as has been the case over the last two years whenever City have played at Spurs. Um, Spurs know exactly how to beat them, Um, kind of really quick on the on the counter attack, and I thought it was positive. The the ground scene, the the big thing. I thought the supporters were quite united um, on Sunday, and. That can only be a positive, and with the Kane, the Kane stuffs like, like Nuno doesn't need it, does he? But his hands are tied. What's he supposed to do? You kind of he's still got very good players in attacking areas, particularly Son, who who signed a new contract. Um, so there should be no reason why they don't go on and have a good have a good season with or without Kane, um, really, because there's enough quality within within the squad. Um, and then if they, if they were to If they were to lose Kane, um, then they will go out and spend that money, won't they, on on another striker?
2: Is that looking likely? Because, you know, we've got now 11 days, 10 days till the end of the window and... It seems like there's a new line on this story every day and naturally there will be because it's such an integral player to Spurs and such a world-class player in Harry Kane that there's always going to be something different thrown into the works. There was Cristiano Ronaldo's name thrown into it, Lewandowski allegedly wants to move away from Bayern Munich which has also thrown a bit of a spanner in the works and it just feels like there's something new coming out on this every day. So I I know from what I can gather more recently is that City are confident that, they can get something done for Kane but does it feel in any way closer is this going to be one of those that goes down to the white it
1: sounded it sounded like it sounded like they were more confident than uh like the start of last week um where it was like oh they're kind of like talking and whatever and I was like all right okay and then it was suggestion that they were putting something together of like 120 plus some add-ons and they were hopeful that that would kind of get them somewhere close But then all the stuff comes out at the start of this week about kind of Kane's made it known via whoever that Levy's not picking up the phone, which is a complete contradiction to what people were saying last week. It's very difficult to know kind of what's what's right and what's wrong when you talk to people, if I'm honest. I think Mark will be the same. It's like you can have City being confident about getting him. Although nobody, nobody at City will discuss anything about it, and then you've got people at Tottenham going, "He's absolutely not for sale. He's, got, he's going nowhere." I don't know, I don't know where all this is, where all this is going. So it's a bit difficult. It's a difficult story to kind of cover. Um, I think, I think they'll find some sort of compromise, um, and the, before before all the kind of training ground absence and all that sort of stuff was kicking off. There was people saying that they thought that Kane would not play for the first few weeks of the season. Um And that, well, what they were saying was that they thought they kind of, there'd be some sort of mysterious injury that was keeping him out, which obviously that's not played out as it? It's just been, he needs more time on the, on the grass. Um, and people are like, people are surprised that a player who wants to wants to leave is forcing the issue. I don't think anyone should be surprised by that.
2: It happens all the time. Players not turning up for training and all the rest of it. I mean, there's so much that happens behind the scenes at a football club that people don't get to see. And I don't think a, a player not turning up for training to force a transfer is anything out of the ordinary. I just think because it happens to be the in story at special the moment. circumstances, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it, 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 absolutely. So, in terms of Harry Kane not playing for Tottenham this weekend, that's looking more and more likely, Mark, with this game against Wolves. Do you see him playing for Tottenham again, ever? Maybe later down the line, if he does get his move to City, he might want a homecoming or something. But in terms of between now and the end of the transfer window, 10 days' time, where we'll know for certain what the situation is, can you see him pulling on that Tottenham top one final time?
0: I, I honestly, I almost don't want to say it either way. I think, look, between now and the end of the window... I would maybe be surprised because I just think there's there'll be too much if there's if there's still a chance, you know, it's like if there's still a chance then why would you do it? There'll be there'll be a reason, as Jack was saying that there was noises about the start of the month. There'll be a reason found for for it not to happen, just because there's too much jeopardy mm. there. At the same time, with this story and with this whole situation, um like <laughs> it's it's just so difficult to say what's happening because all the information that you hear is conflicting um earlier in the summer um I'm, I'm almost gonna sound the opposite to Jackie, but earlier in the summer i was convinced that it just wouldn't happen um because from kane's position even even without the kind of contract situation and all that there was just almost he, he had absolutely no leverage and as it's progressed you've almost thought like what? what else can he do to try and force this now? Um and I always just thought he's gonna stay. I just didn't see it as realistic from, from speaking to people. But then at the same time you had certain bits of confidence from City like Jack says. So it's really it's really difficult and then you just don't yeah. wanna sorry to sit on the fence, you just don't wanna say either way whether it's 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 gonna it's gonna happen or not. It's it's hard.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think you've, you've basically got the two wrong people to be talking about this on this show because I think me and Mark are <laughs> so averse <laughs> to getting anything wrong. Yeah. It's, it's just a opinion. Don't want to do
2: it. Yeah. Oh, um, let's put it this way. I'm more, I am more. was more convinced that Grealish would be there at Man City than I am with Kane. Absolutely. So, um, so it certainly is a unique one for sure. But Tottenham... Whether they are playing Harry Kane or not in their squad at the weekend, they have to travel to Wolves regardless. Sunday, two o'clock start. Let's talk about Manchester City then, seeing as they do form a key part of this discussion around Harry Kane. They've got a home game at the Etihad against Norwich City. Three o'clock kick-off, the traditional kick-off slot on a Saturday. Let's talk about Norwich just quickly before we go back to Man City. Brutal start for them in terms of fixtures, Jack. Liverpool last week got hit 3-0 and now Manchester City... Who will be reeling off the back of that Tottenham defeat? They'll be wanting to make amends. Certainly, Pep Guardiola will. For them, is it about avoiding what happened to Sheffield United last season, where they didn't win in 17 games? Because if you get in that early rut, it's so difficult to get yourself out of it again.
1: Yeah, to, I mean, to be hurt, 17 games—you've played most of the teams in the division, haven't you, by that point? But it depends how you want to look at it. Like, I, if it was me, you'd be going right. These are like three hits, the gimmies. Just go and have a go. Like you're you walking in. Not expecting to pick up anything out of the first two games, so just just go and have go and have a go and see what you can and see what you can do. Um, I don't think anyone. I don't think you'd start worrying. Um, I don't know who they've got next week, but I don't think you'd start worrying after losing the first. Even if they got hit for four or five on Saturday, um, you can't be panicking. Um, because it is, it's it's, all right. it's a horrible start, isn't
2: it? Yeah, a absolutely brutal start. But then then again, you could almost level the opposite because that's exactly what happened two seasons ago where they beat Manchester City in the September, I think it was. And that was it. Their, se- their season peaked. and It was all downhill from there uh, for Norwich City. I think it's a case of what will we see in the next couple of weeks up until the first international break with Norwich. I think that even by those early stages, we'll have an indication of how they'll do. In terms of Manchester City, we've seen them play like they did last week against Spurs a number of times under Pep Guardiola, Mark. Do you think there's any real concern? Surely they'll come roaring back. They always seem to, so there's no reason to doubt that they won't do it again. I,
0: um, If I was a City fan, I wouldn't be particularly worried. I don't think just yet because of the circumstances around players coming back. Um, they gave an extra week off to the English and the Brazilian players. Basically, Nova Club did that. Um, So the pre-season preparations haven't been there. Um, And, you know, that also has kind of affected the way that they play. Like, they don't quite look like the City of last season, which was all about taking things slowly, patience, control. Um, When I was watching the Tottenham game back, you just notice how even the stuff like um, you know how they would last season. They would have like Cancelo and, and Zinchenko coming into midfield and stuff, and and that would give them a base and stuff and stop the counter attacks. Instead, you've got Mendy out there who hasn't really been hasn't really been trusted for the best part of two years now, and uh, he's bombing up the line and leaving spacing behind. It just doesn't feel like this is the team to me at the minute. That um this isn't the team that you is is going to go forward and and is we're going to judge City's season on. Um, but, like I said before, when we were discussing Chelsea, I, I while that doesn't worry me, um it is also a slight concern because, look, you know, the season's the way we're going now. people are putting points on the board, and it's not a lot. but like I said, if you if you get off to a slightly slow start, um the I reckon this season it's going to be a lot tighter. I think everybody expects that. That's one thing that was in everybody's preseason predictions. every everybody can see four clubs that are ahead of the rest. And quite how they shake up, nobody's really sure. Um, and from City's perspective, you just don't want to get caught behind. Um, the one thing that I would say is that, like, it was a, it was an almost similar story last season, given that they start they they finished the previous season so late, being in the Champions League, and um, you know we weren't really seeing the same kind of flowing effervescent attacking play. And in the end, Guardiola adapted, figured something out, and you know absolutely walked it in the end. Uh, and he is one coach that's always got the capacity to do that um, above anybody else in the league. So even if things are still going wrong once all those players are back, you wouldn't put it past him to just figure something else out. But, um, so yeah, I, would, I wouldn't be concerned just for the minute, uh, but no, it's not exactly been an ideal start.
2: Yeah, and I think as well, as long as Pep Guardiola goes without winning the Champions League at Manchester City, there'll always be people that say that should be the priority over the Premier League. But four teams in with the chance of the title, I think, should make for an exciting Premier League season. Before we go to a quick break, I just wanted to get some quick thoughts on Manchester City's third kit. What do you make of it, Jack?
1: Um, what, what? Have we got new rules for swearing on this show for the new season?
2: <laughs> I've got a bleep <laughs> button, so you
1: carry on. Abysmal. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't even even go to bed in it
2: (laughs) there we go Jack Gorn's verdict Uh, if you're a Manchester City fan you actually like the kit because I've not found any of them yet uh, let us know on social media at the sports social is the twitter handle we're going to take a quick break and we'll be talking about the other half of Manchester Manchester United next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Time to talk about Manchester United now as they travel to Southampton Sunday 2pm kickoff. And we could see a potential full debut for Jadon Sancho. Jack Gorn and Mark Critchley alongside me. I'll come to you first, Jack. How do you think Jadon Sancho will do at Manchester United? Everyone always says when new players, in inverted commas, come into the Premier League, oh, we don't really know how they'll settle in. Do you think that that is something that you can apply to Jaden Sancho, or is he just too good to uh, to have that applied to him? Yeah,
1: way too. I'm really, really excited to see how he is. I, I thought he was criminally underused in the summer. Um yeah.
2: He's Ninety-seven not... minutes for
1: England. He's... We have this thing in this country where we don't watch enough European football, and I count myself in that. I don't watch nearly enough of it. I mean, but you look at his numbers at Life's Dortmund. Too short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> life is too short. You're right. Um, I, like you look at his numbers at Dortmund, and it's like astounding.
2: Yeah,
1: the number of like goals and assists. Um
2: have got them here. And, Sixteen you know, goals, not... twenty assists last season for Jadon Sancho.
1: And then it was similar numbers, wasn't it, the year before? I mean, he. Um, it's very yeah. I can't remember how many it was over the over a couple of years, but it's it, it's just such an unbelievable talent. Um, and United, and those sort of those sort of players that kind of suit United, though. Like I mean, you don't like Mavericks crap word to use, but someone who just like gets you on the edge of your seat and you know really unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen and get him inside a full. Old Trafford in front of Stretford End and, and there's, there's like a you just know that there's gonna be some there's gonna be an atmosphere when the ball drops at his feet, like an expectancy, which is a sort of kind of tempo that United thrive on. So I think it's just like it was a well, it's absolutely complete no brainer to sign him. They've done quite well to uh with the transfer fee given what Dortmund were asking for last last summer. Um and I just think he's just a bit little bit different to what they've mm. got.
2: They've played they've played it well, haven't they, to get to get him for less than a hundred million, which is exactly what Dortmund were asking for last summer as you say Jack and I think as well I wonder what Leeds United fans must have been thinking in the away end at Old Trafford when you know you're 5-1 down and with 15 minutes to go United are bringing Jadon Sancho on I think that goes to show the strength of their squad they've still got Varane and Cavani to come back Mark um, even though they're unlikely to feature this weekend against Southampton Cavani due to his involvement in the Copper American, he's not really trained much like Varane as well hasn't really had too much time on the training ground but how strong is United squad compared to when Solskjaer first took over the club, do you think?
0: Much stronger, I would say. Uh, if you think about that squad that season and you think about the players that would have left in terms of, the, like, you're talking a world-class bracket or, you know, just an elite-level bracket, then they probably, well, they've lost Lukaku, who wasn't quite, a, didn't quite perform at the... I thought he was always capable of it and I don't think he was properly used at United. But he's gone there's not really anybody else and then you think about who's come in you've got fernandez now you've got uh Varane. you've got sancho who i think if we're talking elite level uh you were just discussing like his numbers that he put up in the bundesliga last year like if he can replicate that in the premier league or he's already done it to be fair yeah forget it he's already done it in the bundesliga um so he's there uh, you've got someone like Harry Maguire, who I think has become one of Europe's leading centre-backs, to be honest, and I think he's, he's still, you know, people like, maybe because he's English, maybe because he's a bit cumbersome, he looks a bit like, you know, like, like he's a bit, he doesn't have a great pace, for example, and people, that's often something people pick up with his centre-backs, but everything else, his physical presence, his ability on the ball to pass out, to bring the ball forward, you know, you're talking about one of the best centre-backs in, in in Europe, I think, now. So. Yeah, I mean, like you you put all that together and you've got more players of that real, uh, that you wouldn't be surprised to see play in the Champions League final. You've got more players like that now than you had uh, when Solskjaer first arrived. Of course, like the issue is, I think, that um, having all those players in one place doesn't necessarily make it that level of team. It doesn't make you, you know, latter stages of the Champions League team. United could be that this season. Um, They have the potential there. It's just about bringing all those different parts together and and making it work. And, um, well, I I think, like I said before, I think there's four clubs that are streets ahead of everybody else this season in the Premier League, and they're obviously one of them. It's just about where they land in that. Um, And the performance last week was really encouraging. Um, I do just wonder. it It felt like the same game that I watched at Old Trafford against Leeds last season. And I just think, given the way Leeds are, they don't change for anybody, they, you know. And United are almost perfectly suited in the way that they play in fast movement of the ball, getting it up the pitch quickly. It's it's well suited to just smacking leads for six, five, six, whatever. So um, I wouldn't read too much into that. Although it was obviously a great day, suns out, first day of the season, Verans announced, everybody's happy. Um, I would I would maybe just dial it down a little bit the optimism, <laughs> and let's see how they do uh, over this next run of games because they've got a good they've got a a favorable start to the season you know they could put up a real like little lead going in here and um, have a really positive start uh, and it could be a really optimistic season but you know and they've got the place to do that now like we say so let's just see how it goes but I think things are looking up at the minute yeah
2: If Manchester United avoid defeat against Southampton this weekend, they'll go level with Arsenal's run of away games without a loss set during that Invincibles era, 2003-04 sort of time. So uh, they'll be in very good company there if they do manage to uh, draw or beat Southampton. A Southampton sidejack who have lost Danny Ings, they've lost Ryan Bertrand and Yannick Vestergaard to... Uh, Leicester City. However, James Ward-Prowse has signed a new deal, so that's a boost for them. But on the whole, compared to what they had before to what they've got now, how at risk are they of this season, do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I'll be interested to see what the uh, release clause is in Ward-Prowse's contract. Um, <laughs> Gentleman's agreement. The, I, it's all right. Yeah. It's alright. Yeah. Funnily enough, I had to write a story. I was writing a story today and Really, I should have put a gentleman's agreement in it. Right. I was like, I'm refusing to do this. <laughs> Absolutely, steadfastly <laughs> refusing. Um, I think with Southampton, uh, quite a lot depends on Armstrong, which is really unfair. Um, if Armstrong goes and gets a job they Which the one? I like... I like Stuart Armstrong.
2: Well, they've it's got good. Stuart Armstrong, Adam Armstrong, Shea Adams. <laughs> it's like yeah, an absolute yeah, yeah. nightmare.
1: <laughs> I think with like Adam Armstrong... He scored last week, didn't he? But it's such a like such a massive step up from from uh, Blackburn and the, and the Championship that they, there's a lot of faith gone been placed on him there. Because Shay Adams is a very good second striker. He'll play off someone, and I mean, we saw that at the Euros where he did his best best work, like coming deep and bringing people to play and whatever. Um, they need someone who's going to replace things, his goals, and it remains to be seen whether Armstrong is he's capable of doing that over, over a full season and unfortunately if he can't then they're really really going to struggle i had him in my I had him in my bottom three that brings in a smile to
2: my face jack <laughs> as a portsmouth fan i'll happily yeah. see that happen um, and i didn't have
1: portsmouth in my top six in <laughs> one, <so. laughs> that's,
2: that's fine i'll happily uh, have you proved wrong on that as well um <coughs> southampton against manchester united saint mary's sunday two o'clock Mark, you mentioned Leeds earlier on. Let's talk about them now. They face off against Everton three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. You think Bielsa surely will have them back at it after being beaten five one last week? Surely.
0: Yeah, like it's like like I said. To be fair, like you just know what to expect with Leeds. It's going to be entertainment. They're going to play a certain way, and that is their strength, but it's also their weakness. Um, and you know, if you've got a game plan that really um, accentuates those weaknesses, then you can exploit them and. And run up a big score like United did, but you know if we're talking about managers who are a little bit stuck in their ways uh, and and do things a particular way, um, they're up against Rafa and, and Everton, and you I I just think that you know you take one look at this game, Everton they were good last week, you know obviously going behind coming back, um, but they have a very very specific game plan um, that you know, it could work I and mean, maybe I'll be proved wrong but it seems to just be about getting it down the sides, crossing, you know, putting it onto Calvert-Lewin.
2: Or Richarlison at the back post or something, yeah. Or
0: Richarlison, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's the kind of thing that Leeds could struggle with but I just think that like the movement and the fluidity and the, you know, the the, the rhythm with which that Leeds play um, is probably just going to end up being too much for them and I wouldn't be surprised to see see them return to form. We saw this with Leeds last season, like. I keep saying, you know what to expect, but like they'll have games where they ship six and then they'll go and score they'll score three. And, yeah. you know, that's just the way that they play. Um, and I think, yeah, this will, this will be a winning return. For
2: As for Everton, we've mentioned last week whether we feel that Rafa Benitez, you know, in his time at Goodison Park is going to be a success or not. I personally think that he's doomed to fail and at the first sign of any cracks appearing, the pressure will grow too much and Farhad mashiri will have to get the the curly finger out and the uh, hook Rafa Benitez out of there. But the in terms... Finger. Yeah, I know. I only heard it the other day. I, I thought I'd use it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where it's come from, but someone There's said it. I thought I was stealing that. <laughs> um, what's the aim for Rafa? Because I don't think Everton are particularly strong enough to get into the Europa League places, although they, they might well do. I think it has to be silverware, Jack, for Everton. No trophy since 1995, which would disappoint Everton fans.
1: Yeah, dis- disappoint them. Um... They've been disappointed for years, haven't they? It's uh, I, I, I where did he go? What did he do? I don't know. It's like kind of saying about Arsenal, aren't we? It? Like what's a what's a success? And I, I have not a clue what a success is for Everton. Having haven't a I think like every every year, whenever they
0: make a run to like the quarterfinals of the League Cup or whatever, that's that's what. Everton fans are talking about that. They they put a lot of stock and focus on that. Company. You know, in the way that we used to, all, people always talk about how Newcastle are desperate to win a trophy. I think underlying, it, yeah, I think it's the same with Everton. They just they they put a lot more stock in those competitions than maybe clubs of other clubs of their size um, and other clubs of their expenditure. You know, they the thing about Everton is just relative to how much money they don't spend in the transfer market, but wages as well. They've got like a wage bill that's right up there, um, like almost, I think it's a few million short, of like 12 million short of Tottenham. And we know Tottenham don't pay great for a top six club, but they're right on that precipice. You know, for that money, you'd expect them to be really, uh, be the seventh best team in the Premier League, uh, above Leicester, for example. And to be contending for trophies uh, regularly every season. And so they, you know, Everton fans are aware of that and they want to see a return on that investment. So look if if he could win a trophy then yeah it would go a long way to kind of ingratiating himself towards to, towards the the fan base but they always just seem to just fall a little bit short don't they and it's cut competitions anything can happen but i i think i think that's got to be the aim but yeah it's it's, it's difficult
2: Let's switch to Liverpool now. The other club on Merseyside and they face Burnley at Anfield. That's the lunchtime kick-off, 12.30 on Saturday. On the longest unbeaten run in the Premier League, 11 games stretching back to the end of last season where they snuck into the top four. However, talking of unbeaten runs, Burnley broke Liverpool's famous Anfield record of 68 games without defeat. That came back in January. Certainly their work cut out against the Liverpool side uh, featuring a Mo Salah and a Jordan Henderson who are in line for new deals. We speak about those four clubs we think could be challenging Mark Chelsea, uh, Manchester City, Manchester United and of course Liverpool. In terms of depth, where do Liverpool rank uh, amongst those group of clubs? The starting 11 for Jurgen Klopp is strong, but is there as much depth as the likes of a City, United or Chelsea because it's been a quiet summer at Anfield. It's an
0: interesting question actually. I had not really thought of it before. Um yeah, I think that if you look, if you compare across those four squads you probably would say that that second eleven at Liverpool isn't quite at the level um that you'd want. And you talk about like you you saw the Norwich game last week, you know, that midfield that they had was Cater, uh Chamberlain and was it Milner? I I might be mistaken there. Um but they they weren't really impressing themselves on the game at the start. Um and it had to, it changed a bit more when Fabinho came on. Um so perhaps and you, you talk about a quiet summer. Feels like it's been a, a, a few quiet summers. I remember back after the, the summer before they won the title, so you know I was proved totally wrong in the end. But I remember uh, speaking to a few people and and like there was a little bit of like just wondering whether now was the time to actually try and cash in um, or at least try and regenerate the forward line because you know it's a great forward line and obviously they signed Jota last summer and he's he's really added to it. But um, I think with Liverpool, you know, how did they win that title? Well, they bought, and how did they win the Champions League? They bought Alisson and Van Dyke with the Coutinho money, and I think that's always been the basis on which they've operated. And they would have looked to try and operate over the past couple of years by shifting perhaps one of that front three, who are now all in the late twenties and are all still terrific players and players you wouldn't want to lose. But in a world where you can get 150 million plus for him then you would again use that money and reinvest it into the squad and and perhaps you know stay at that level that you've been at where you're challenging with City um and obviously circumstances over the last couple of years with the pandemic and everything and Real Madrid Barcelona top clubs not really having that money that's perhaps been that's perhaps been shut off that avenue for them now so they're in a really they're in a really interesting position as to where they go forward and how what they do with the squad next. There's a lot of talk, like you said, about the about the new contracts. Um, that might be a position that they're kind of... People like Salah, for example, that might be a position that they've almost been kind of, um, I don't know, like shuffled into, you know, that they maybe weren't planning, not specifically Salah, but with one of those three, uh, this maybe wasn't in the game plan. So it's interesting to see. I still think they're way strong enough to be top four challenging for the title this season. It's just interesting how Michael Edwards and all these, you know, all the people there who've who've earned a lot of praise over the last few years for how they've how they've uh, built that squad. What they do next with it that's going to be really interesting.
2: Just a side note on Mo Salah, he's on ninety eight Premier League goals, so we could well see him reach the century this weekend against Burnley as they take on. Liverpool sorry no they don't don't take on themselves as they take on the Clarets at Anfield Saturday 12 30 p.m start time for our final break of the show now and afterwards we're going to be talking about Villa against Newcastle Brighton against Watford and Crystal Palace against Brentford
0: football's social daily find more great sport at
2: sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League actions. Three games still yet to go through. We'll start with Aston Villa against Newcastle. Traditional three o'clock start on Saturday. Aston Villa were beaten last week by what looked a hungry Watford side. And we'll come on to the Hornets in a little while. But you know, with Ings, Bailey and Buendia coming in, perhaps there is time needed for those players to gel at Villa Park. But it feels like the expectation for Villa all of a sudden, Jack, is European football now. Is that fair, considering how they did last season and now they don't have Jack Grealish? That might be an even steeper task for them.
1: Yeah, the um, I thought the the, the video that Perslow did after Grealish went to City, I thought that was really refreshing in that he kind of like, um told basically told the supporters that they knew it was coming and this is why they kind of they bought X, Y, and Z. And I think they've given themselves a better chance of finishing higher in the league, um than solely relying on, on Grealish. Um but it's gonna take particularly for Bailey, it's gonna take a little bit of time to get up to speed with the Premier League. And for Buendia and Ings it's gonna take a little bit of time to kind of work on you know, work work on their kind of, uh, how they interact with each other and how they kind of go about the business. Um, so I don't think, yeah, I think it might take a little bit of time for Villa. But I think they've given themselves a better chance of progressing as a football club. Um, and they've got a lot of money for the best player, but the best player didn't want to be there. So they've, they've, they've made the best of it.
2: No, it's a great point. And actually, in terms of their opponents, Newcastle United, I would put these two clubs on a similar standing in terms of prestige and history and size of fan base and all the rest of it. Newcastle, though, it's almost the opposite. Everyone says they just need to worry about survival, Mark. But with players like Alan Samaximan, Callum Wilson, now Joe Willock, I think Debravka's a decent keeper. They seem to have okay players for a team that are often tipped as relegation candidates.
0: I think you've maybe picked the four
2: best players. <laughs> 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 Uh no, I think I
0: look I think the with Newcastle, um, you know, last season I they finished about twelfth in the end, didn't they? I remember looking at the table on the final day of the season and thinking this just doesn't look like a table that reflects the, the season whatsoever. You've got Liverpool third, Newcastle twelfth, Arsenal eighth after everyone was saying they could get relegated halfway through. Um but like with with Newcastle it it's just there's a limit, I think, to how far they can really go with i don't want to be too critical well i i when once they brought graham jones in who is incredibly highly respected and you know was working with england during the Euros as well you saw things improve and you almost saw that like they were making the most of those players that you mentioned where the the game the game plan was kind of funneled through them and wilson is like a guy that's going to get you about 10 or 15 goals so long as his hamstrings and his cruciate ligaments stay intact Saint maximum similar is a guy that could probably play at every single well he, he could he could play at one of the top six clubs if not you know be a squad player on all of them um he's that talented and that enjoyable to watch and obviously willock had that great little hot streak at the end of the season you may to be seen where he's gonna you can keep that up but um, so there is there is talent there, but it just feels like sometimes, the like I say, I don't want to be too critical, it feels like the style of play previously, certainly before Graham Jones came in, was a little bit just, just kind of unambitious and lacking in ideas and too easily outfought by other managers. Um, but I think it's one of those cases where there'll be three worse teams than them this season, because there's, there's probably three or four clubs that have bigger problems uh, than they do at the minute, so they should be okay.
2: Mm. And could either of those clubs with bigger problems than Newcastle be Crystal Palace or Brentford? Because that's where we're heading next. Another three o'clock Saturday kick-off. Brentford, though, I think, Jack, riding the the crest of a wave after beating Arsenal. I have a feeling they'll surprise a few this season. And actually, I haven't got them in my bottom three in terms of predictions. I wonder if you do as well.
1: I don't think I did put them in the bottom three, no. Um, Just because they score score goals. and yeah, they, they will concede a few, um, but the I don't think anyone was surprised by the performance last Friday night, which is probably the biggest compliment you can you can pay them. And obviously there was a there was an element of the Arsenal factor in that as well. But Brentford Brentford were great, and the good I thought the good thing about it afterwards was there was like kind of proper togetherness, and they'd done like the lap of honour and. Um, yeah, I think that I, I think it'd be quite a difficult place for for teams to go and get results there, um, and they've got enough pace and they play through Ivan Tony and Ivan. People have been talking about Ivan Tony for years and years, going back to when he was at Peterborough, um, and he's got a massive opportunity to to lead them to to safety, um, and I know I know it's quite a lot of the quite a lot of the pundits picked up on his on his role even though he didn't score on Friday last Friday they picked up on his role in the kind of how they were occupying defenders how they were playing, and stuff. playing yeah. through him and occupying defenders yeah yeah
2: definitely and I think that actually if they beat Crystal Palace I think that will certainly change a few people's minds about what they can achieve this season I definitely think that they'll be able to surprise a few I just wonder from a Crystal Palace perspective if Patrick Vieira doesn't pick up a win in his first few games is there going to be reflections on What happened at Selhurst Park during the Frank de Boer era, which was obviously an unmitigated disaster for them uh, down there in in Croydon. Anyway, Crystal Palace against Brentford, three o'clock kickoff Saturday, which brings us to our final game on today's show. Brighton against Watford. Sorry, Seagulls and Hornets fans, your bottom billing on today's podcast. That's the evening kickoff on Saturday, 5.30pm start. Watford played well against Aston Villa last week, Mark they looked really hungry i think they've made some good signings in the likes of uh, emmanuel dennis as well do you think that they can avoid the drop this time or will it again be a step too far for them
0: they were in my bottom 3 um for the pre-season predicts because i thought that like even when you were looking at how their championship season went it's kind of split into two halves um wasn't I just like look watching bits of even Brentford and Norwich, they look like better footballing teams than, than Watford did. But to be honest, like. I, I think was, you,
2: you get more grace in the championship, don't you? You get more yeah. chances, there's more games, yeah. and it, you know, you don't have to be as consistent to be successful.
0: Sure. Um, but then they really surprised me last week, just in terms of the directness, just in terms of like. Saar didn't surprise me as much because like, he, obviously, he was there a couple of seasons ago when they were up here. I remember watching. I remember getting sent to do, after PSG United, I got sent to do Wren versus Arsenal. He was playing for Wren. He absolutely tore Arsenal apart, and I thought, this guy, this guy's going places. He's, a, he's an extremely talented player, and he's going to be the one where everything runs through him. Um, but I, and if you like look at all the de- defensive stuff last season, defensive stats, they were actually pretty pretty solid. So you just wonder whether they've got that kind of like rear guard that might just maybe get them enough. Um, but I looked at them and I thought they look like a team... Do you remember there was a Middlesbrough team when they came up a couple of seasons ago and they were solid and, yeah, but they, they just drew a lot of games. And if you draw a lot of games, it's not, like, it's not good. You, you'd rather lose a few and, and win a few as well because it's two more points than just the one. So... You know what I mean. The maths works out better that way, and Watford looked to me like a team that's going to draw a lot of games. Um, maybe starting with this one. Brighton, I've always been. I think Brighton last season. We all know they just they just couldn't finish, could they? Uh, and they they were letting in a few goals that they really shouldn't be letting in either. And if they just sort that out, they'll be they'll finish pretty well. So yeah, I, I would look at that and think
2: it, it'll be a narrow Brighton win. You watched Brighton last week, Jack. What do you think of them and their chances this season?
1: Uh, last week was interesting. I liked McAllister a lot. A lot and he kind of changed the game off, off the bench. The weird thing was, so Potter like reverted to a back four last week to start with, but played Pascal Gross as a left back. And then they were awful for like the first half and he changed it. He went back to a back three at half time and then that kind of altered altered the way the, the game went. I just Similar with Matt, I just don't, I don't know how many goals they've got in them, and they should have gone. I mean, they might still do it, but they should have gone all out for Eduard at Celtic because it, it would have just given them something a little bit different. Um, but yeah, they kind of it, it was the same stuff really. On last Saturday, it was like they were quite nice on the ball, um, and are able to like maneuver teams out of position quite cleverly. Um, and all right. Last week they took the chances, but who's to say on on Saturday whether they will or not? You'd not you've not really got that confidence in them that they're gonna score two goals in a game to win it.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's consistency, isn't it, in the Premier League and only two games in. It's hard to get an idea of who is going to be consistent performers throughout the campaign, but we'll look forward to the weekend's action nonetheless. And we'll draw a line under today's podcast. That's it for Football Social Daily. Thanks very much to Mark Critchley and to Jack Gorn. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss another episode of the podcast again. Fergal, Brennan and the gang will be back tomorrow to look back across all of the weekend's fixtures. And of course, there is a game on Monday night as well, which we'll preview on Monday's podcast. So, once more, hit that subscribe button and that way you won't miss one. But for today's episode, that's it. and We'll catch you again next time. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.
1: Plus.